No, I didn't. <laughs> Preaching forgiveness and repentance of sin. And I asked the question, was John's baptism equal to or did it supersede temple sacrifice? I don't think it superseded temple sacrifice because Jesus said that the law would not go away until all things had been accomplished. So it could have been, and I think it was, equal to the temple sacrifice. But I got into the study of John the Baptist, and I wanted to look deeply into John and why his baptism was important and what, he, what we could learn from him. And as we were studying through the baptism of Jesus, which of the things that I listed out, the importance of John, baptizing Jesus is one of the important things that John did. So as we look into that, what happens there? He sees the Spirit descend. Do we know that he was the only one who saw the Spirit? Don't know. But if you think about what happens with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, where he sees Jesus risen, but no one else does, and that the transfiguration, just after the transfiguration, there's a voice that comes down from heaven, and the crowd heard it. Some said it was an angel. Some said it thundered. I'm leaning towards John was the only one who really saw what was happening there because of what he says in 1 John, that he saw the Spirit descend upon him. And he knew that he was righteous and he, because he didn't want to baptize him at the beginning. So the Spirit descended. And the way Matthew records it, the him and he, it sounds like a very close relationship between Jesus being baptized and John. So I say that, that he possibly, and I think probably, was the, truly the one who saw and knew and understood the Spirit coming upon John. The next day, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And he tells this to Andrew. And Andrew tells Philip. And then the next day, Jesus sees Philip, and excuse me, Andrew tells Simon, Simon Peter. And then the next day, Jesus sees Philip, and Philip tells Nathaniel. And from John the Baptist, the way the gospel is spread is begun. He's the first one to recognize Jesus' divinity. And then he tells somebody, and they tell somebody. Then Jesus tells somebody else, and they tell somebody, and they tell somebody. And that's the way that we learn to tell the gospel truth through the work of John the Baptist. But what did Jesus say about him? Well, in the passage that Blake read for us, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Well, you went out to see a bold prophet. You didn't go out there to see reeds blowing in the wind. I'm reminded of the passage in Ephesians, which is a great mixed metaphor. Grow up, not being like a child thrown about in the winds and the waves. I don't know many children thrown about in the wind by the, the waves by the wind. But then he goes on and says, grow up into a, a body that Christ is the head and puts a, a third metaphor in there. So it's a, a great metaphor, but to imagine the, the Grass is blowing back and forth, as you will. And that's not what they went out to see, is somebody shifty and moving back and forth. They went out to see John, the bold prophet, with a strong doctrine, a doctrine of baptism for the repentance of sin, for the, a doctrine of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. He 
was also not a soft man. And I think John takes a shot at, or Jesus takes a shot at Pilate, as recorded by John, that he was not in the palace, that he wasn't the shifty politician. He had the strength and the boldness to communicate these things. And let's take this lesson from John that we do spread the gospel. We spread it with boldness. The next question was, he is Elijah. That's what Jesus said. He is the coming of Elijah that's prophesied in Micah, Malachi, chapter 4. So how was he like Elijah? When was Elijah preaching? Where was Elijah? What was the setting? He was there when Jezebel was married to Ahab. And Ahab had decided that he was going to follow the Baals. And he was going to become a pagan. And Jezebel was the biggest influence in his life. He followed his wife right down that road. He did more evil in the sight of God than any man before him, according to the scripture. He was following Jezebel. He set up a shrine in Samaria to the Baals. He set up the Asheroth, the statues to the female pagan god. And if you think about the Phoenicians, they were the great seafarers. They would go out and get the products from abroad and bring them back. And they had wealth. And they had no fear of the sea. The sea was something that most people feared. It was chaos. It was deadly. People didn't have their salt life bumper stickers on the back of their chariot. They were afraid of the sea. But the Phoenicians were different. They went out and got these things. And then when Jezebel was married to Ahab, she came to Tiny Town. She was the uptown girl. They had silver and turquoise up in Phoenicia. She came down there to Israel where the girls had stone and wooden jewelry. And she was, she was going to show these people how to worship truly because Baal was the god of fertility. He brought the rains. He brought the crops. And she was going to make sure that the crops were good so that Israel could be exalted and she could get the jewelry and the Revlon and all the stuff that that uptown girl needed. But then Elijah appears and says to Ahab, it's not going to rain. John was thrown in prison for having spoken against Herod and his adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. Elijah was a bold prophet who spoke against Ahab. And at the same time, Hiel is over in Jericho. He's rebuilding the foundation of Jericho, and he loses his first son when he lays the foundation of Jericho. He loses his youngest son when he hangs the gates. The exact thing that Joshua had prophesied would happen. There was no regard whatsoever for the word of Jehovah in this day and age. And this is where Elijah comes into the picture. So Elijah says it's not going to rain, and then God whisks him off out into the wilderness and feeds him, and he drinks by the brook, 
until the brook dries up because it hasn't rained in three years. And then he sends him not into a place near Jerusalem or in Galilee. He sends him way up north into Sidon, up there close to where Jezebel and the king live. And he says, go up there and there's going to be a widow up there. Tell her to feed you and she will. So he goes up there and stays with the widow for a few years. And her son dies. He says that Elijah stretched himself out over the sun. And I, I had this picture of the guy laying down on the boy. And then I got to thinking about it. You know, he didn't sit on a, sleep on a sealypostropedic with a headboard. And, he slept on a mat. You think about Elijah laying over the boy. He gets down on his knees and he prays over the young man. He doesn't miraculously heal him. He doesn't do, like, stand up and walk like the apostles did recorded in the New Testament. He prays over him. And God himself brings the boy back to life. It's not a miraculous thing that Elijah shows his power. He shows the power of Jehovah, and that's what he was there to do. And that's pretty much exactly what John the Baptist was doing. He came to make straight the path for the Christ, to level it. I often, as I drive down the road, look off at the terrain on the side, and it's so steep and so hilly, and I am so thankful that I didn't live 100 or 200 years ago where you had to walk up these hills and back down them and hitch up the mule and try to figure out how you were going to get from place to place. Now we have those straight and level roads that just you just fly where you want to go. But that was the spiritual thing that John was trying to do, was to make a spiritual people that would be prepared for the Lord. And that's why he had the baptism for forgiveness, so that there would be a group of people, a bunch of people, that were prepared for the Lord. John's authority was questioned, or excuse me, Elijah's questioned, authority was questioned. John's authority came from heaven. Jesus proves his authority by using John's baptism. Did it come from men or did it come from God? And the answer was obviously it came from God because the Pharisees would not answer the question. But both John and Elijah had authority from heaven. Elijah and John doubted. John wrote from prison, or sent messengers from prison. Where are you the one? Are you the one? And Jesus sent him back a message from Isaiah. Look around, you see what's happening. People are being healed. This tells you that I'm the one. John was worried. He thought that the prophecy of Elijah was not coming true because he was in prison and the captives were supposed to be freed. He wasn't sure what was going on. And what did Elijah do? After Elijah goes off in the wilderness, God tells him, go show yourself to Ahab. He had been hiding from Ahab. And Obadiah 
is out looking in one direction because it's the middle of the drought for helping Ahab look for donkeys or for water so they don't have to kill all the donkeys. Ahab's looking for donkeys, but what did Obadiah do? Obadiah was the one who took prophets by the 50s and hid them in caves and fed them with bread and water so that they would be safe from Jezebel who was killing all the prophets of God. This is how intense she was on getting rid of Yahweh worship. She was killing all of his prophets. And I don't know that there's been a woman in history that was as powerful and as bloody as Jezebel. Perhaps Mary, Queen of Scots, because she did have the title Bloody Mary. But it's little wonder that Jezebel frightened Elijah after her prophets were killed. And you know the story. Come to, come to Mount Carmel. Let's decide who's the greater God. Elijah, or excuse me, Yahweh, as supported by Elijah, or Baal, as supported by 450 prophets. They sing and dance and chant all day long, and their sacrifice does not burn up. Elijah, he prays, pours water on his sacrifice, lots and lots of water. Interestingly enough, in the middle of the drought, he's pouring lots and lots of water on his sacrifice. They weren't far from the Mediterranean Sea, so there's a lot of water to be had, although it's not good for crops. Pours much, much, much water on this sacrifice, prays for the sacrifice to be consumed. Fire comes down from heaven. The sacrifice is consumed. The prophets of Baal are killed. And then Elijah runs off into the wilderness doubting that he's going to survive because Jezebel is angry that he has killed all these prophets. John's in prison, worried because he's not getting freed. Elijah's off in the wilderness, worried because Jezebel has, prophet, has promised him his death. We often think of these men as being weak and doubtful. But if you think about what John was doing, he was saying, God, your word's not coming true. Where, where is the Christ? You think about Elijah. Fire has just come down from heaven and consumed a soaking wet sacrifice. And then Ahab goes back up to Jezebel and Jezebel says, so what? Ahab saw this. So what? And then she gets the widow's oil proportion of prophets, which is innumerable. They just keep coming and coming and sends them after Elijah, and he's saying, I've just proven Yahweh. What is going on here? John's saying the scriptures prove Yahweh. What is going on here? So it's not that they're weak men. It's they're just not seeing the big picture of God. And I think that there's a mistake that we make too. We think that we know what God has planned. And I'll be honest, just last week I had a friend of mine. I stayed with him when I went to lectures last year was in the hospital, had a, a tumor on his back. And they go in and said, yeah, the guy's old, but he's healthy. We'll take this tumor out. And sure enough, they went in there, pulled the tumor out, 
no big deal. I get the text, said they got the tumor out. Everything looks good. We got to do testing. And I send a text back. Praise the Lord. Next week, the text comes in and says, it's melanoma. It's lethal. We can treat it. But you're going to die from this. And I'm thinking, what did I think? I think tumor's out. God is good. All will be well. Well, nay, not so. My friend gets to struggle on for as long as they can treat him. But that's his decision, and we will honor his decision no matter what happens. But the idea that we don't know God's will for us, so let's not think that we do. But also, Elijah prayed over the boy. Elijah prayed for the rain. Excuse me, Elijah prayed for the fire. Elijah's going to pray for the rain in this next sequence. So, simple as that. One of my favorite themes. Pray. Pray and work and wait. John was beheaded. Greater than all the prophets. He was beheaded. But Revelation 20 tells us, blessed are they who were beheaded for their testimony of Jesus Christ. And then Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind. So there's different ways that we're going to meet our end. The idea being, keep our testimony for God. Why is John's baptism important? Turn with me, well, to Zechariah 3. Why is John's baptism important? Well, first of all, it forgave sin. It forgave sin. That is important. And if you make your living from the forgiveness of sin through sacrifice, as the priests did, it's little wonder that they had a conflict with John and his baptism. But in Zechariah 3, picking up in verse 1, it reads, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing, Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And again, to see, and again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and will clothe you with festal robes. And then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him with garments, while the angel of the Lord was standing by. Satan was standing there accusing Joshua of being sinfully filthy. And the scripture says, Joshua was sinfully filthy. And then the Lord says, put new clothes on him. and makes him clean. Makes him pure. The idea is, God gets to choose how he wants to forgive sin. This is a vision, yes, but he basically says your sins are going to be forgiven, Joshua, by putting on fresh garments. 
And then, back in Leviticus, chapter 17, the Lord has just given instruction on sacrifice and the Day of Atonement. And then he goes on to tell them to send the goat with their sins upon it out into the wilderness so that their sins will be taken away to a place where they can't harm them. And then in chapter 17 of Leviticus, he picks up and says, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel and say to them, This is what the Lord has said, commanding, Any man from the house of Israel who slaughters an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or who slaughters it outside the camp, and has not brought it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guiltiness shall be reckoned to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from his people. For this reason, the the reason is that the sons of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they were sacrificing in the open field, and they may bring them into the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting to the priest, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. The priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting and offer up the fat and the smoke, a soothing aroma to the Lord. And they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifices to the goat demons with which they play the harlot. This shall be a permanent statue to them throughout their generations. Now if you think about what was going on with Melchizedek, Job, Abram, Abraham, all of them were priests of a degree in the sight of the Lord because they were offering sacrifices. And they could even offer sacrifices for themselves. They could self-sanctify. But the Lord has said, you're not going to do that anymore. You cannot sacrifice anywhere except for at the tent or the tabernacle. In front of the tent is where sacrifices are to be given. The law has changed. The idea has changed. John's baptism is forgiving sins. The temple sacrifice is also forgiving sins, but we're making this transition now. Think about what John said to the woman at the well. The time is coming, and now is, when we will not worship at Jerusalem or on the mountain. So, sin was being forgiven in a place different than at the tent of meeting. People could be forgiven of their sin somewhere outside of that. Which brings us to the importance of John's baptism because it took that transition from sacrifice anywhere you want to, sacrifice at the temple, be forgiven at the place where you are. And that's what happens with the Ethiopian in Luke chapter 8, or excuse me, Acts chapter 8, so what f- prevents me from being baptized? There's water. He was forgiven of his sins at the place where he was. Luke 7 and verse 29 and 30 tells us that the Pharisees rejected John's baptism and thereby had rejected the Christ. In Galatians 3, in verse 25 through 29, brings this thought to a conclusion. 
Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith that was to be revealed. The law became our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. The connection is made from sacrifice to John to baptism. And Acts 19 makes clear the relationship of the Holy Spirit to baptism. Paul asked the men, were you baptized and did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they said, what is the Holy Spirit? And he said, what were you baptized? He said, John's baptism. He's, then he rebaptized them into Jesus Christ, into faith in Christ. So there is definitely a connection between the Spirit and baptism and John baptism and back to the law. It's this time that we sing a song of encouragement. That if you do have questions about baptism or questions about salvation or questions about your own sin, we'll invite you to talk with any man with this congregation and, and let's have a discussion concerning these things. Let's stand and sing. <clears throat> Number 444.